We'll return to Genesis chapter 19 for our preaching of the word this morning. Genesis chapter 19. And in Genesis chapter 19, we're going to be looking in our, for our text this morning from verses 1 to verse 29. Genesis chapter 19, verses 1 to 29. And our title this morning, looking at this text of God's holy and his infallible word, is the city of sin. The city of sin. There are few words or examples from history that send such a reaction into people's hearts as the word Sodom. Even the world that doesn't have a Bible knows it is a very serious word. A word that makes us think of judgment. A word that makes us think of the wrath of God, so much so that even the word associated with that place, Sodomite, is so offensive in our day, is so offensive to many people that many shy away from using it. But in Sodom, what was taking place? Was righteousness ruling in that city? Sin was ruling in that city. There are things and warnings in history. This is a a real city from history. A city that was judged by Almighty God along with other cities around it. Gomorrah and other places as well. And there are few places in history that send such warning throughout the centuries. During... World War II or World War I. Many joined the British Army in 1914, young people, thinking that the fighting would not take place for a long time. None of them thought it would take as long as it did. And many, as they were going out to fight, thought this would be a short battle, them against the Germans. It would not be that bad, they thought. It would not be so gruesome as it turned out to be. But we know from history, that's not how it turned out. There was many, many lost lives. The, the technology of the previous, previous century was used on a grand scale to kill and to maim. There's a word that came from that great war, the, the great war of World War I, the Battle of the Somme, it took place in 1916 in a river in France. And over the course of 140 days, a battle that the British thought would not be that bad. Over 140 days, there were over a million casualties. Over a million. They thought going off the fight, it would not be that bad. But it was far more horrific, far more horrible than they ever would imagine. And the images of that was imprinted in their minds for the rest of their lives, those who fought in those battles. The sin of the city of Sodom is left imprinted on the minds in the world. 
as is Noah's flood. And as we think of modern cities, we may look at around, and not even just modern cities, even the countryside, but we may think that the sin of today, it's not that bad. People are overreacting, we may think. We live in a time increasingly like what is described in Genesis chapter 19. And let us not think, dear friends, that it does not have an impact on the church. It does, and so often will have an impact on the church. So we must, as God's people, be on our guard to learn of the seriousness of sin, to not think as we go off to this difficult battle, it's not going to be that bad. When in fact, experience teaches us otherwise. That it will not affect us. It does affect us. Because at the end of the day, dear friends, though we've been saved by the blood of Christ, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the first point we're going to look at here from Genesis chapter 19, as we look at these Uh, 29 verses, the first 29 verses of this chapter. Number one, the ugliness of sin. The ugliness of sin. This city, Sodom, is ruled by sin and its citizens are ruled by their lusts. We see it in verses 4 and verse 5. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said unto them, unto him, Where are the men which came in to thee this night? Bring them out unto us, that we may know them. The men they're referring to, these angels, which had hospitality in Lot's house, But look at the sin on display openly. Now we're not to think of this as the only sin that was in Sodom. I think we can make that mistake. But what do we think if people think of Sodom thousands of years later? We think of the sin, don't we, of homosexuality? Or more generally, crimes against nature. Actually, if you look at very old dictionaries and you look at the word Sodom or sodomy, Very short definition. Crimes against nature. And people struggle with that today. And say, what does that mean? We know what is natural. It is a crime against nature. Yes, this is mentioned in our text. But it's not the only sin that is taking place in Sodom. If we turn to Ezekiel chapter 16. Ezekiel chapter 16. Ezekiel writes about the sin that is taking place in Sodom of that day. Ezekiel chapter 16 verses 46 to 50 says this, And thine elder sister is Samaria, she and her daughters that dwell at thy left hand, and thy younger sister that dwelleth at thy right hand is Sodom and her daughters. Verse 47 Yet hast thou not walked after their ways, nor done after their abominations, but as if that were a very thing, thou hast corrupted more than they in all thy ways. As I live, saith the Lord God, Sodom thy sister, 
hath not done she nor her daughters as thou hast done, thou and thy daughters. And looking at Sodom here as an example that continues on throughout the centuries and the millennia. Verse 49, behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the meaty. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. There's an arrogance to this city. There is a pride. There is an abundance. They are quite prosperous. And they're quite proud of that. They have all that they could want. But what is being shown here in our text in Genesis 19 is not the only sin that was taking place in Sodom. It's showing one particular example of how ugly and how horrendous sin can become. And in our text, it almost describes it as the men there, they're prowling around and they're almost hunting for their prey. Verses 6 and verse 7, And Lot went out at the door and went to them and shut the door after him. And said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Lot recognizes this is a grave and wicked sin. It almost shocks him. But he suggests something that is also wicked. Verse 8, And now I have two daughters which have not known men. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you. But there's something contrary to nature. I think also that's being pointed out here, not all sins are equal. There are some sins particularly heinous, particularly destructive, particularly horrendous. I spoke of crimes against nature. We have to think about what does nature itself reveal because I think this is something we don't really think about today. If we didn't have a Bible in our land, what would be revealed from creation? The heavens, it says in, in Psalm 19 verse 1, declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. And what is revealed in creation? Well, we know, I go anywhere in the world, you can ask people. How many genders are there? Two. Male and female. A child has a mother and a father. This is something revealed in nature. We need food and drink. This is a natural desire. We need water to quench our thirst. We also have a natural and good desire for companionship. Why? Because we've been created in the image of Almighty God. To love others. We also know, don't we, that from revealed in creation, that human life is of more value than animal life. The way we've been made by God, we are different. There's something unnatural taking place in Sodom. There are lusts contrary to that natural way we've been made. I think that's the important thing here. This is why it is so evil. In verse 9, and they said, stand back. And they said again, this one fellow came in to sojourn. That is to dwell for a time. And he will needs be a judge. Now will we deal worse with thee than with them. 
who has made you a judge, Lot, over us? Who are you to tell us what to do? Does that sound like a very familiar attitude in our day? How dare you tell me what to do? And this attitude is everywhere in our culture today. The world does not like to be told what to do. How dare you get in the way of my lusts? They are parading the ugliness of their sin before all. And they are not happy when someone gets in their way. Not at all. They even said to Lot, we will deal worse with you. This is fallen man's nature. Shown to be far more ugly than we're used to seeing at times. Isaiah 3 verse 9. In Isaiah chapter 3 and verse 9. Isaiah chapter 3 and verse 9. The show of their countenance doth witness against them. And they declare their sin as Sodom. They hide it not. Woe unto their soul for they have rewarded evil unto themselves. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Many people will have the shame They'll do horrible things, but they'll hide it. They'll be ashamed of it. But in, in this day, there's no hiding from it. It's, it's all paraded. It's all shown openly. They're not ashamed of it at all. As it is in our own day. Not only will they take things that are unnatural. Contrary to nature, they will parade it before all. That is a serious, hardened state for anywhere to get. In verse 10. But the men put forth their hand. And pulled Lot into the house of them. And shut the door. It's getting serious. It's getting violent. It is getting ugly. There's something shocking. Whenever you read through your Bible. And you get to this chapter. There's something shocking about this chapter. But this chapter is not here for shock value. This chapter is here to show. What happens when a city is ruled by sin. Proverbs 14 verse 34 says this. Righteousness exalteth a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. And let us think of our own day. What is the gospel. And the world has its own gospel. Of the world, the flesh and the devil. They have their own way of salvation. They have their own way to happiness and peace and joy. And all the things that they want. They'll say, be yourself. Follow your dreams. Be your true, authentic self. It sounds so nice, doesn't it? It's in all the billboards. It's on, on the ads most of the time. It all sounds so innocent. And the men of Sodom are doing these slogans of modern day society. They're following their dreams. They're following their loss and they will not take no for an answer. Thus the ugliness of sin. They are following the gospel of do what you want. There was a man, he was famous about a hundred years ago. And he had a message for the world. He said this and he was very influential in popular culture. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. 
in modern English, that would be, do what you want. Do what you like. And that, doesn't, that sounds so innocent, doesn't it? The man was one of the most famous Satanists of the last hundred years. It's the message of the devil. Follow your dream. Do what you like. Follow your ambitions. And it will come in very different ways. Do not take no for an answer. Genesis 19 is not here for shock value, but it shows us the scary reality of sin. The ugliness. And the young people here this morning, you may not have experienced, like some of the older people here, some of the ugliness of sin. And you may think, oh, it's not that bad, is it? That's the big danger when you haven't gone through various things. But sin is horrendous. It is ugly. Trust God. Trust His Word. Because to go away from His Word, to go away from trusting in Jesus, dear young ones, it's horrendous. It's horrible. Our words fail to express what it is to go away from the Lord. So we've looked at the ugliness of sin, number one. Number two now, the blindness of sin. The blindness of sin. Verses 10 and 11 of our text. But the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house to them and shut to the door. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they were weary themselves to find the door. There is a certain blindness, blindness to sin. And this is all that are without Jesus Christ, blind to their sin, outside of Christ. But for the grace of God, dear friends, as we look at this text, so would we be. Even the people are out in the world are being restrained from going into the excesses that are described in this text. That is but by the grace of God. We're capable of all sorts of horrendous things. But for the grace of God, we would all be blind, leaders of the blind. We would be blind, searching for something that cannot satisfy our craving. You see, we've been made in the image of God, and we have a craving. And without God, we will search for all the wrong things to satisfy that need that we have. The sad thing is, dear friends, they, they weary themselves to find the door. They're almost grasping at it. They want their sins so much. They persist and they add blindness to blindness. That which they pursue, that which they love, that which they cherish, it causes them harm. They can even see that it causes them harm in a very practical way. Sin makes, if you think about it, sin doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. It's illogical because sin, and you see it around the world, you go to major modern cities, you go into parts of Belfast and other places, you see the effects of sin. You see the effects of excess drinking. You see the excess of drugs and all these other things. There are countless examples of the harm that sin does to people. But why do they not see it? 
Why does the world not see it? They hold the truth in unrighteousness. Romans 1 verse 18. They fight against that truth. The blindness means they have access to the truth. It's revealed from heaven above. But they hold it in unrighteousness. Friends. The blind person. The blind people here. They hate God. They hate God. They may not have access to the gospel. But they have access to creation. They see it has been revealed. Even in their own hearts. They have been made in the image of God. But they hate him. Their maker. They love their sin. They love their addiction. And they are blind not only to the harm sin causes them personally. And the society all around them. But they're also blind to the beauty and the splendor of God. That's what they're blind to. That's, see, sin is exceedingly sinful because of how wonderful God is. How pure God is. How, how much value he is. He's of infinite value, infinite worth, infinite goodness, infinite truth. The source of all things. For of him and to him and through him be all things. That's why sin is so bad. And to commit sin is blindness. But until God opens the eyes of someone, they'll never understand. Imagine describing the beauty of the sunset. The sun rising to someone who'd never ever seen it. They would struggle to understand it, wouldn't they? They'd never be able to see it with their own eyes. Actually, it even goes further than that. This blindness goes further than this picture. Not only have they never seen it, they prefer the darkness. They've had a glimpse of it, but they don't want it. They prefer the darkness. And this is why sin makes no sense. How can we see anything, those of us who are here this morning? If you are here by God's grace and you have eyes to see and ears to hear, praise God for that. But why can you see and others cannot? Is it because you and your own selves are better? Is it because God looked at you and said, mm, there's something in you lovable more than other people? Not at all, friends. The Lord took pity upon you. The Lord poured out his spirit upon you. And when it pleased the Lord to save you for his glory, this is why you're here, to praise his holy name. And then... When your eyes are open, you see the beauty of holiness. We see but a glimpse in this world. We'll see it in its great fullness in the world to come. But you can see what you see this morning because God opened your eyes. And when God opens your eyes to the ugliness of what we are seeing in our text and the ugliness of sin, not just in our society around us. Aha, it's those people over there. But the sin in our own hearts you flee from. When your eyes have been opened. And you run. To that wonderful aroma. That is Christ. You run. To the beauty of Christ. You find delight and satisfaction in God. That's one of the changes that happens in a saved sinner. They no longer have that same level of satisfaction in their sin. 
Yeah, oh yes, they'll fall into sin and they'll struggle. Often people will struggle greatly after they first get converted. But there's a joy and a peace and a a contentment that they have in Christ that they will never, they see the harm that sin caused them and the joy that they have. Their eyes have been opened. Their eyes have been opened. And friends, but for the grace of God, there would we all go. So the ugliness of sin, the blindness of sin, number two, number three, the emptiness of sin. The emptiness of sin. Verses 12 to 14. And the men said unto, unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides? Son-in-law and thy sons and thy daughters and whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place. This is an urgent message. Grab everyone. Let's get out of here. Verse 13, for we will destroy this place because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons and, and married, which married his daughters and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons in law. There is an urgent message. There is a need. A need to flee. What they see, the sin that they enjoy, what they're being ruled by in their lusts, it will not last. This city that they see around them will be brought to dust and ashes under the wrath of Almighty God. You see, friends, sin is empty, its end is destruction, its end is dust, it's fruitless. It will not last. It will have a moment in the sun in this world. And that is but by the grace of God that we have that. But it will come to an end. It is vanity of vanities. This is why we cannot live for this world. This world will too be judged one day. We cannot live for it. In Luke 17 Verses 28 and 29, we read part of Luke 17 earlier, but we're just going to read these two verses. Luke 17, verses 28 and 29 of Luke 17. 28 says this, verse 28, Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, and they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. This is such a warning from history for Jesus' day and still is until this day. And all the things that they lived for, all the things that they clung to and lusted after, dust it would become. Everything that they served will be gone one day. And righteousness is different. You see, the the world to come is not ruled by sin. It is ruled by righteousness. It is ruled by holiness. It is ruled by perfection. And its fruit is for eternity. Its fruit will never fade. Compare that with what Solomon saw in the book of Ecclesiastes. Chapter 1, verse 2. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. And the more I live as a Christian, the more I can grasp more and more of what Solomon is writing about there. 
literally a puff of smoke of puff of smokes. Almost emptiness of emptiness, a vapor of vapors that goes away. Appears for a little time and then vanishes away as James described it. You see, this world, if to live for it is foolishness. And unfortunately, friends, this world is ruled by sin. But there is a world to come. You see, sin rejects and fights against the one who maintains and sustains all. And when you reject the source of life, you are embracing desolation. You are embracing death. And you are embracing fruitlessness. Dust, ashes. And here we have a warning from the past. We have a warning that shows it's a taster. This is the scary thing. This is a taster of the wrath of God. But a taste of it. It shows the righteousness of God. The taste of hell. We see tastes of heaven in this world. When we come to worship before God. As we do here the Sabbath morning. Even the Sabbath day is a taster of the rest we will experience for all eternity. As believers in Jesus Christ. But we also see tastes of the wrath to come. And it should make mere creatures terrified. It should. It terrifies me that there are people dying every day in Northern Ireland, Republic of Ireland, and they will go to hell for all eternity. They heard the warnings. They saw a battle ahead and they thought it was not that bad. But it was horror. And the thing is, friends, we all deserve it. You, me, we all deserve it. And often we'll, we'll ask ourselves the question, why me, Lord? Why am I here? Why not all the people I knew growing up? Why, why, did, why did you take pity upon me? It's not for no reason, but it is not because we're any better than anyone else. We're not any better than the people described here in Sodom. We have been delivered from the emptiness and the futility of sin. And that is the most wonderful thing. We've been delivered from the empty and the trivial to look upon the everlasting. That is wonderful. We've been brought away from vanity of vanities to live for this present world. And to live for that new Jerusalem which awaits the believer. But friends, you must flee. You must flee the city of destruction. If you've read Pilgrim's Progress, Christian reads, he's a burden. He must flee, he knows, from the city of destruction. And he must head toward that celestial city. And there's only one way to head, head toward that celestial city, and it is in and through that narrow, wicked gate. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is only through him. The Lord Jesus Christ. The author and finisher of our faith. Who trust in him and in him alone. You see. To flee from the city of destruction. To flee from the city of wrath. How? How can you flee from it? You can't do it in your own works. You can only do it. In the power of God. In Jesus Christ. Trusting him and in him alone. 
bringing you out of the emptiness and the futility of sin. What is the message that they were given in Sodom? This city of sin. Verse 17 says this in our text. Verse number 17. And it came to pass when they had brought them forth abroad. That he said escape for thy life. Look not behind thee neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain lest thou be consumed. Escape, run, flee. And that is the message for the world today. Escape. Flee. Don't look behind you. Don't look to this world. It offers you nothing but dust and ashes. It's empty. Look ahead for relief. For mercy. For the kindness of God. Verse number 21 and 22 says this. Lot has experienced this. Mercy. In verses 21 and 22 says this, and he said, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow this city, speaking of Zoar, for the which thou hast spoken. Haste thee, escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou be come thither. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. And in fleeing from that city, Of emptiness. Of destruction. He goes to it in a city that outlasts it. Zoar, this little small city. It's even called little. That's what Zoar means. Little. It's small. It's probably far less impressive to the eyes. But it's been granted the mercy of God. It deserves the same thing that Sodom deserved. And he was delivered because of the mercy of God. What about you? Have you fled from the city of wrath? Have you seen that your sin condemns you along with all everyone else in the city of destruction? And the city of destruction is everyone who trusts their own heart, who trusts their own way and walks on the wide road that leadeth unto destruction. But many there be that go thereat. Our final point here this morning is the devotedness of sin. The devotedness of sins. We've looked at the ugliness of sin. The blindness of sin. The emptiness of sin. And finally number four. The devotedness of sin. Even with the warning from the Lord. Knowing the vanity of sin. Knowing the destruction that lays ahead. Not only do they. The word of God has told them. They've been warned. And they see destruction. Verse 23. The sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zoar. And the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. The warnings. Wrath is openly poured out upon these cities. An example to all. But will Sinners, listen. Not only, not only is the futility seen of it, the, the warning of it. Why would anyone look back? Verse 17, it says, look not behind thee. The, the warning is don't look back. Don't look back in unbelief. Don't look back to your old life. 
Don't look back to destruction and those things that you once loved. Why would you look back? Why did Lot's wife look back? Verse 26. But his wife looked back from behind him. And she became a pillar of salt. Whatever her reason was for looking back. Whether it was curiosity. There's a certain sense she had unbelief in her heart. Of the warning given in verse 17. And though we may be saved by looking to Jesus, our, our faith and our repentance is never perfect this side of eternity. Whenever we look back, we display a degree of unbelief. We have moments like this. We do. But do not play with fire. Young people here, I hope you've never gone up to a fireplace and reached out and taken a coal out of the fireplace. Would you think that would be a good idea? Not at all. That would be dangerous wouldn't it? And if you play with sin. You're playing with fire. You're playing with destruction. You're playing with devastation. And the Lord shows you. Warns you and tells you. Also time and time again. Look not behind thee. But we're so tempted. We're attracted. At times. Toward our old ways. We must not. We must not. It says in Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. The first few verses of Hebrews chapter 2. Gives us much the same kind of warning. Verses 1 to 4 of Hebrews chapter 2. Therefore we ought to give the more earnest. Heed to the things which we have heard. Lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard it? God also bearing them witness. It speaks of signs and wonders. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? How will we escape if we return back to the world? Friends, don't trust in your family background. Don't trust in how many good works you've done. Don't trust in anything else. Trust in the Lord. Look forward to Him. Look for His mercy. And in times of temptation, and they will come. Times of temptation, they will come. Seek the Lord's help even more. Seek the Lord's help even more. There is a love that we as fallen sinners still have. A degree of it for the life we've left behind. What did Jesus say? Remember Lot's wife. It's still an example. It still sends shivers down our spine, doesn't it? Thousands of years later. Don't be like those who still love this world. You may know people. And they may go back toward the world. Friends, your loyalty to Christ must be greater than your loyalty even to earthly friendships. I'm not saying this, that it is easy. It is hard. 
But your loyalty to Christ comes first. Not your loyalty to anything or anyone in this world. Not even family members. And I'm not saying that's easy. It is not. It is not. But we look for the mercy that is ahead. We must not go with those who will look back to the city of destruction. God remembered Abraham. It says in verse 29, it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain. That God remembered Abraham. Isn't that wonderful? In the midst of all this destruction. And God remembered the prayer of Abraham. At the end of chapter 18. Abram cries out to the Lord. Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Would thou also destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein. Now he doesn't mention Lot by name. But he delivers. God remembered Abraham. Perhaps dear friends you know people who are still in this city of destruction. Who are still ruled by sin. Will we not pray for them? God hears such prayers. God delights to hear such prayers, dear friends. The prayers that we often can get wearied by. We wonder, is God ever going to hear my cries? To to save that family member. To save my son. To save my daughter that is still out in the world. Whatever the case may be. Keep praying. Because we are in Christ, we are also, as Galatians 3 tells us, in Abraham. God can and does bless such prayers. Never lose hope. As long as they're still upon the earth, continue to pray for their deliverance. And we pray, not only that, but that he would deliver many in our day. In this area, pray for people you have witnessed to at your place of work. Though our efforts may be feeble. Though we stumble over our words. Though we wish we said that or this or whatever. God can still use your witness. However imperfect it may be. The power is not in our witness. The power is in God. And may we glorify him. That he delivers frail people. He delivers frail people like Abraham. Lot. And he delivers. Delivers frail people like you and I. Amen.